Welcome to the Inspired Leader podcast, the series in which we explore the sources of inspiration of leaders from many different walks of life. The more I think about it, the more I notice it, I think we don't laugh enough together. Not laughing at people, but laughing with people. What we call management now, in a hundred years time, they'll call shouting. But there's something beyond mere transactions in businesses that help us to make the world a better place. Today I'm delighted to be sitting alongside Neil Malarkey, comedian, actor, improvisation artist, author and communications expert, and founder of the renowned Comedy Store Players. So Neil, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Neil, let's start with your role as the leader of the Comedy Store Players. Incredibly, you've been running for 32 years, so since 1985. Tell me a little about the story behind it. I believe you said that with Mike Myers of Austin Powers fame, is that correct? That's right. I'm not sure I'm the leader. We have a very flat hierarchy. (laughs) There are six of us, and there are four of us who do the booking to make sure that there are six performers on every night. And uh, we have a bevy of wonderful depths who step in, 12 people or so. But who knew it would last this long? October 27th, 1985. Andy, you're probably in short trousers. (laughs) 1985. Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. And because of the bylaws in Westminster, we're in Leicester Square, we couldn't charge less than £5 a head, which was incredible. Everyone else was charging £1, £2 or so at other comedy clubs, of which there are about three or four. Tiny rooms above pubs, there was a place called Jongleurs. But the comedy store was open. It had started in 79 and then reopened in its Leicester Square location in 85. Some months later, a woman called Kit Hollerbach, comedian and writer-comedian called Dave Cohen, who also now writes on Have I Got News For You and Horrible Histories. They had done a show with Paul Merton called Three Weeks To Live at the Edinburgh Festival and were talking to the Comedy Store. The Comedy Store did stand-up on Fridays and Saturdays. Other nights they sublet to discos and so forth. And Kit had done improv with Robin Williams and others in San Francisco and said to the Comedy Store, I'm not sure who initiated the conversation, but it was, how about an improv night? Let's do Sundays. And what's improv? What do you mean by improv? Improv, and there are many people who've got no idea what I'm talking about, is where the audience gives suggestions to the actors, and the actors act it out there and then. Stand-up is where normally one individual has her material, and he or she repeats it every night with some ad-libs here and there. Improv is an ensemble form of theatre. And the audience gives suggestions and the team, there may be two on stage, there may be three, four, five, six on stage, creating scenes, sketches in front of your very eyes. So you're in the Guinness Book of World Records, 32 years. What has kept you going so long? What has inspired you to be uh, running this show all this time? We enjoy it every time (laughs) we come and there's a fresh audience. Many of them have been before, but they haven't seen that night's show. It's entirely addictive to arrive without preparing anything to meet friends your cast members who make you laugh get paid for it 200 people as it used to be the old comedy store now 400 at this one laughing one time the very last night we did the old comedy store we were kind of in celebratory mood and this guy after 10 minutes got up from the audience and said this is no good you're just saying things and people are laughing (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, he was right. <laughs> we used to go to this Italian restaurant around the corner as well. And this rest- 
John waiter said, well, what is it you do? You come here about 10, 15 every what, what is it you do? Where have you been? And Paul Merton explained, well, we do improv, we take suggestions. And the, the waiter nodded and said after a moment, this is impossible. <laughs> and he's right. For so many years, we've created a two-hour show to delight audiences. And it seems impossible. How do we do that? We do it because of the trust and the joy of improv. And the audience knows it's improvised, so they'll, they'll forgive you the moments when it doesn't quite work. In fact, they like those. They quite like it when I don't know what I'm saying, or I say a thing I didn't mean to say, or when you throw me with yeah. something you said. And that transparency, that vulnerability, is itself appealing. Yeah. If you were in a proper play and you forgot your lines and everyone else remembered them, that would look bad. This is naked. We're saying, look at us. We don't know what we're going to say, but you're going to help us create something. So it's actually, you find the audience is more tired after a show than a scripted show because they're kind of more invested in it. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, feet, yeah. they're really on the edge of their seat. And people say, my, my, I'm aching. My cheeks are aching. But it's actually quite tiring because you're more invested. Whereas if it's a stand-up or a scripted play, you sit back and say, well, do I like it or not? Yeah. They'll do it tomorrow night. Yeah. You've done it before. Yeah. So what keeps us going? It's easy. <laughs> people keep coming back. Yes. It's enormous fun. And we've created a scenario whereby we can do it yeah. regardless of the people actually on stage because I'm away any one of us is away but this sense of all in it together yes. does make it infectious for the audience you make it look easy I've seen it you make it look easy I'm sure it's not for well, most people it's um, extraordinary the the creativity of what's going on between you and how do you kind of create that atmosphere that spirit between you so you've got that rapport you listen the secret of improv is to yeah, listen to yeah. each other. Now, we know it's a good show kind of from the moment we're in the dressing room, everyone's in a good shape. And last night was an absolutely brilliant crowd, completely sold out, way in advance of the actual show. So they were there, they'd invested in it, and they were just delighted them the moment I stepped on stage to introduce it. And it just went woo, through the roof after that. There are the tougher ones, when you said we make it look easy, we really have to work sometimes. It's the three Wednesdays in December. <laughs> <laughs> office parties right yeah, can't get a word in <laughs> it's kind of somebody from the company has come to see it in February with, with their boyfriend or girlfriend they brought a few of their mates in June and thought this would be great for the Christmas party because they see everyone in the audience laughing okay Christmas party comes around people start drinking five or six o'clock at the office or the pub they come here 20 of them and 10 of them are thinking or not thinking actually because they've been drinking or and some are thinking well, why can't we just go to a restaurant and chat or actually Dave from accounts thinks of himself as a bit of a laugh yes. he so, keeps so he becomes funnier than the comedians themselves. well that's what he thinks <laughs> and and the worst kind of heckle is not that somebody shouting something out where you can all hear it and you can respond to it it's the uh, 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 who, who wants a, a lager yeah, I'll get you a wine okay you want a drink okay it's that kind of yeah. hubbub because actually the work you're right there is a lot of concentration it's you can't be put off by anything so if there's hubbub then you're not really listening you have to be totally in the moment even when we're off stage you might have seen us and we're well lit off stage even if we're not in the scene we're ready we're waiting in case it needs something or we need to come on or there's a really good bit and we think oh, we could i remember that and later mention that for example, yeah, we, yeah. that's what we call referring back or reincorporation. You yeah. bring a thing back, which is joyous because the audience thinks, wow, they wouldn't do that tomorrow night. So yes. last night there was yes. an embryologist sitting here. We found out uh, that was her job in the first few moments. And then it, 
every now and again there'd be an embryologist <laughs> it's a gift it was a gift yeah, yeah we didn't really know what it was. I said you're a doctor no no I'm a scientist so just things like that which are truly off the moment would never work if you wrote them down mm. and tried to recreate it another night so the secret is both mundane and rather grand in that who wouldn't want a gig where you don't have to prepare twice a week 400 paying customers uh, a very very supportive management at the comedy store so you say there's no preparation but on a bad day you've had a bad day at home something's going wrong you know how do you prepare yourself and get yourself in the right frame of mind to be funny and to engage people in the way you're describing you put all that away you literally forget it there is a saying in theatre scripted and not scripted we call it doctor theatre or doctor footlights you arrive at the theatre with a bad cold a bit fed up the lights come on you're in costume or you start the show everything else goes the delight of the show, the delight of the audience and your fellow players means you forget everything else. Mm -hmm. And there are times, because Sunday and Wednesday we perform, but Sunday you want to be at home, don't you? Yeah. It's, it's a, a school one. night. You want to be having a, <laughs> a bit of a lie down and watch some bad telly. Yeah. And actually, I feel that quite a lot. And then I arrive here and I think, yeah, this is great. This yeah. is my home. Yeah. And then at the end of the show, I think, oh, I'm a bit tired now. I've got to get up early tomorrow to get the children to school. But in that two hours you are entranced by the joy of improv. Yeah. So we've done it long enough now that whatever state you arrive in, you make sure you are here 35 minutes before curtain up. You make sure you can talk and move. So <laughs> you pull out yeah. if you're not feeling well and you have to be in the right frame of body actually as much as anything the right frame of mind is as soon as the lights come on we're we're there yeah do you do anything with each other we do engage we do we come on? the first game we play is where one of us who's introduced the show and got some suggestions from the audience just to get them introduced the idea that they have to give something to us he or she points at individual members of the cast and we tell a story based on what the audience gave us they might have given us henry the eighth and the quiche or something so I'm pointing, or one of us is pointing, and you have to pick it up, and the finger moves somebody else, you pick it up maybe mid-word. That's a game we call, oops, because when somebody makes a mistake, they trip up over the words, the audience, we invite them to go, oops, and if they all do that, the player leaves the stage until eventually there's only one left. We do that in the dressing room, here where we are. Yeah. And if it's too good before the show, we worry. Yes. It has to be a bit rubbish. <laughs> That's right. Or a bit Put surreal. Your toes a bit. <laughs> yeah. Years and years ago, we did do workshops like a soccer team would do little passing exercises, running exercises, yeah. running backwards, those kind of skills and drills that anybody in the sporting or musical world know, just to get a warm up, get a sense of trust, sense of feeling we're working together. And we did those for the first few years. Mike taught us things. So there are sort of generic skills, listening, working with what the other person gave you focus so try not to speak at the same time and that is a big issue with newbie improvisers they think they've got to talk all the time and then you see our show and you realize we really pass the ball well right okay yeah. you've just got a sort of man city of comedy clubs <laughs> uh, i couldn't possibly comment <laughs> but uh we don't have our own pep guardiola <laughs> But it's that sense of, like football, is running onto the ball. Yeah. Is you kind of know where the other person's going to be. So you, she's got a sense, oh, I'll give her the ball. Or he's got an idea. Or you think somebody's got no idea what to do next. You help them out. The real thing is making sure you don't speak on top of each other. Focus. Whose turn is it? 
And you do that with imperceptible body language that is outside your consciousness and eye contact. So Neil, you know, it sounds like comedy has always been a key part of your life, but not the only part of your life. Tell me about some of the other things that you've been involved in and that you are looking to develop going forward in your work. In the mid 90s, I got a bit fed up with being a jobbing comedian. I would get some roles in TV shows, TV panel games, radio quizzes, commercials, films, whatever. And I felt there was more to it. I could do more. This wasn't the be all end all of what I wanted to do. And I started to get interested in being a film director because when you go on a movie set, there are lots of people hanging around, but the person who's doing the most thinking is the director. She's thinking, what's the next shot? He's talking to the producer who's worrying about the money. So there are real elements of a director's job which are really demanding and the actors are sitting around and smoking and eating cake <laughs> some of the time. Um, so I thought that'd be it. So I went on a directing course, then I went to a producing course and I went on this course about producing a film and I, they showed us some profit and loss accounts and he talked about debt financing and equity financing. And my degree is actually in economics and social science. So I've always been interested in organizations, business, commerce. And I thought, hang on, man, this is interesting. And I started reading the business pages more and I was intrigued by a thing called provocative therapy, which right. is by a man called Frank Farrelly who started using improv, even comedy techniques to bring people out of their self-limiting beliefs. So I started doing workshops, I started speaking at conferences, I started coaching individuals who needed help with either just presenting or actually broader into who am I as a leader? I need to have better presence, I need to have better impact. And that's why I admire your work as well in terms of purpose. What is the point? And I remember one of my chums, a business academic, he said, what we call management now in a hundred years time, they'll call shouting. <laughs> and I used to talk about stakeholder value and they said, is that the only measure? And then 2008 came and we realized that there was something more to organizations. Certainly business isn't just about, can we make a profit now, tomorrow, in the next three months? There's something else about how humans come together. Revenue, profit, help those things be sustainable and the market helps us allocate resources and can be very much skewed by malevolent or inefficient forces. But there's something beyond mere transactions in businesses that help us to make the world a better place. And if you apply that uh, thinking to yourself and uh, the role you've been playing, have you got a clear sense of purpose for the work you do and the role you play? I think I do. I think I can put it on one level, which is I hope people understand themselves better as individuals. I hope the team and the organisation can work better together if they can listen better, if they can accept each other's vulnerabilities. And then sometimes I just think, actually, I spent a day with you and all you've done is laugh together. I think I've done a good job. If you've realized that you, a person who's never performed, but has been on the stage here at the Comedy Store, because I often do workshops here, and you've created a scene with somebody else, you've stepped up, what else can you do? What other things that you thought were difficult or outside your comfort zone are achievable? And I still get people on LinkedIn who say, oh, I remember that thing. I remember that workshop. And that to me is enormously powerful. And I'm a servant of the wonderful metaphor 
and skills of improv, which to me at their root celebrate human fallibility. Because I think it was Lee Simpson, who's one of the brilliant comedy store players, also a great director and theatre maker in his own right, who said, in a way, improv is how you deal with failure. Because every scene kind of fails. It's kind of messy. We kind of don't finish off properly. It goes a bit off. You would look back and say, can we rewrite that? But that's the joy of it. The audience sees us naked, sees us vulnerable, and enjoys that shared (laughs) moment. So... I think I've got a purpose, which is to bring some sense of what are the, the joys of improv, listening, and also we've laughed together. The more I think about it, the more I notice it, I think we don't laugh enough together. Not laughing at people, laughing with people. Thanks, Neil. That's been fascinating. It's been great talking to you. <laughs>